Brian Nichols, you're a great man with some great ideas, a great podcast. Do you see why he's my favorite libertarian people? <laughs> yes. He's full of common sense and wisdom. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. Today I'm joined by easily one of the best of the best, Matt Kitty. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Hey, Brian. It's good to be with you. By the way, let me take a step back and say I love what you're doing. I love the conversational style, and it's a combination of good fun and serious ideas. I love the fact that your show's doing what it does, and, and this is how we win the future. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest-growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. There's so many things that we can do to make America freer and the world better and safer and more peaceful. Everybody has the responsibility of trying to help to do that. You know, what you're doing with your podcast is a perfect example of, you know, you're doing this as a labor of love and for the cause, and that is exactly what we have to have. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. Welcome back, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. You are in store for a very fun episode as we are now being joined once again by Brendan Noble. Now, Brendan was on The Brian Nichols Show last time, way back in February 2018, uh, with a, a, a kind of debate slash conversation with John Pierre Maley to discuss whether or not Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson were, in fact, intellectuals. Now, since then, Brendan's been busy, and he has actually become a, a full-blown author, and today's on the show to discuss his new book, The Fractured Prism, which I read. It was a phenomenal read, about six hours in length. I couldn't put it down. It was one of those things I started on a Saturday, started at like seven in the morning. I was done by by after lunch. I was like, okay, that's a, that's a great way to end the day. So, uh, guys, I, I cannot recommend The Fractured Prism enough. So, if you enjoy today's episode, please go over to Amazon and buy The Fractured Prism and tell Brendan that I sent you there because I truly believe that my audience is not only the most receptive, but also just the, the, the most uh, engaging and, and just fun audience that's out there. So with that, folks, on to today's show, Brendan Noble returning to The Brian Nichols Show. How's it going, Brian? It's going good, good, sir. Well, listen, I, I am so excited to have you back in the show um, because you've been a busy, uh, a busy, busy bee behind the scenes um, since the last time you were on The Brian Nichols Show, way back in the... Uh, the very beginning of the Brian Nichols show, February of 2018, was the last time I uh, I, I was able to speak with you in the show. And uh, obviously, last time we, we had you on, we were having a more philosophical conversation. But today, we're we're plugging uh, one of your your newest works you've been doing there on the side, and that is your your first real book, which is a a, a uh, what we want to call it, a dystopian novel, essentially called The Fractured Prism, which is available all over the place you can you can find books, but predominantly on Amazon.com, which I will be including links to the show notes so with that brendan noble that's that's a heck of a, a ambitious journey that you decided to take uh with, with writing your own and your very first book yeah it's uh it's been a really fun journey um i i really have to give a lot of credit to my fiance because she kind of she knew i was interested in writing and she just kind of dared me to do it during uh, november which is a called national novel writing month and i decided that i was just going to try to write the book in a month and the first draft was finished in uh the entirety of november which uh was a very fun and an interesting undertaking 
Oh, I can imagine. I mean, you you really sat down. You decided to, to write a, a well thought out, you know, was it 300 some odd page book in, in that short of a time frame. And I mean, I had the pleasure of being able to sit back and just enjoy because um, you shot me over the um, the the digital copy. And uh, I mean, I got to tell you, like for a libertarian book, right? And obviously, there's like a libertarian perspective to the book uh, without giving anything away too much. Um, but I didn't feel like it was being forced down my throat saying, this is a libertarian book. Enjoy it. Like I actually was able to enjoy the book for being a book and then having like the, the, the subtle political, um, it, it, I don't know if subtle is the right word, but the, the less focused upon political side of things, um, kind of guide the, the theme of the book. So was that difficult for you when you were, you were getting ready to write the book, try not to be overtly libertarian? Well, yeah, it's kind of interesting because, I mean, whenever you're writing a, um, a book, your, your opinions are going to come across while you're writing it. And so it's the ability of, well, part of it is you're trying to focus on the characters and their story. And it was the idea of focusing on these characters and making the political stuff kind of the background of it. And their story is showing the politics more than the politics is showing their story. Um, so the, it, 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 the final draft is definitely much more toned down, I think, than the first draft was. <laughs> um, you know, I, I very much wanted to go across the thing of I'm trying to tell a story of multiple characters and their lives and the events taking place and not trying to hammer ideology down people's throats. Because, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, nobody really wants to read a book um, that's trying to lecture them. I think that's become a big thing in art or the arts in general nowadays, everyone's trying to lecture you on something where I think you can tell a story, still teach a lesson, but, you know, have it, make it enjoyable, not slamming a lesson down someone's throat that they really don't want to receive right now. <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, I, I, we were just talking beforehand, like how there seems to be this complete disconnect from those on the right and how to actually promote culture. And and that's why the left, I mean, honestly, has won the culture war at this point. I mean, look at Hollywood. It's, it's a cesspool of leftism and, and, you know, progressive ideals. And they were able to become that way because they were able to promote their ideas in a way that weren't so overtly like in your face. I mean, rewind to back before the the era of like the traditional sitcom. And I mean, I mean, think of the Brady Bunch, right? You had you had the the uh, the mom and dad in opposite beds. Um, you know, there was maybe a kiss on the cheek here and there, but there was nothing overtly sexual or, or, you know, anything of that sorts. And, and slowly, but surely we were able to see that that started to fade away to the point. Now you have shows like game of Thrones where, you know, essentially it's like soft core porn and it's not even like questioned anymore. Um, and they were able to do that because they, they owned the culture. Whereas it seems like the conservative, or we'll say in this case, just um, the, the, the pro-life camp, if you will, uh, you know, they, they go out and they put a movie out called Unplanned, which is overtly anti-abortion. Um, now, I'm not doing a, an abortion podcast, but it's it's quite obvious that the, the left has mastered the art of being subtle, whereas the right hasn't been able to do that. And then, you know, you think about like, if you had a choice to go see a movie, are you going to see maybe a movie that is overtly anti-abortion or maybe a movie that is a good movie and has an anti-abortion, you know, uh, lean to it. And I think, I think a majority of Americans would, would argue that the, the, the second one would be the, the, movie they'd actually want to go see. So in this case, um, you have a book that you, you went out of your way to write about dystopian future, uh, where a, it's basically a, a socialist hellhole, um, and it's become this tyrannical government, but it's not overtly about the fact that it's a socialist government that's become tyrannical. It's more about the, the story of the individual and the consequences of the tyrannical government and how it would impact the, the lesser of the individuals. And, um, obviously here, 
not giving anything away, but talking about uh, the name of the book with the prism. So here, let's kind of focus on that. Talk about the prisms. Or, I'm sorry, talk about prism and the the, the different colors uh, scheme that you referred to in the book that kind of help color code the classes. Okay. Yeah. So the prism system is a, um, you know, it's almost a metaphor based off the idea of, you know, you get a prism, you send white light into it and it gets split into colors. So there becomes a tiered class system that is uh, developed on people's 16th birthday. They take a physical loyalty, they take a physical test, loyalty test, written test, things like that. And the government splits them into color coded classes from purple down to uh, red, purple the highest, which is like the, uh, the elites of the society and then the reds are the lowest of the classes and um i i tried to take a unique view on the book by not necessarily focusing on the test itself but the impact the test has on a lot of the people in the society and so the main character ivan is uh, a red as one of the lowest people in the society that is almost just like a slave to the government and um how these different class systems um, impacts a lot of the people and the divides between the different colors, I think is the main, but one of the large focuses of it. I really try to uh, not focus on some of the other divides between society and show that, um, you know, the, the, the government can manage to split us up just by arbitrary means and the power of um, uh, just a, a, some type of arbitrary standard the government has set that can overpower a lot of other things that are actually, we're very similar people and, um, and how things can overplay that. It's funny. Cause I, when I was reading the book, I actually got a very hunger games E feel, if you will. Um, so just in the way I was thinking of like the different regions almost, um, and then talking about like how the color code system, it, just in my mind, I was reading, I kind of got that, that connection between the two, because obviously where, um, I forget Jennifer Lawrence's character in the Hunger Games, um, but you know, her, her colony was the, one of the lesser of the colonies in terms of their, you know, their, their stature. And then you had the, the capital, which was, you know, the hoity toities. And it just seems like there's a very similar parallel between that kind of structure and what you, you brought to the table and you, you outlined here, um, in, in your book. Right. I mean, it's very hard in uh, rewriting a dystopian book nowadays with how everyone thinks of uh, Hunger Games. But yeah, um, I, I wanted to show that, you know, there's this divide that occurs where people are living within the, con- the, the country, which is uh, called Northern Mississippi. It's uh, the, the region of the Northern Mississippi River, which is Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Iowa, and how people almost just within the Twin Cities themselves have been divided between the different colors and what regions have, they've ended up living in. And yeah, so... Um, yeah, it, it, it's it's kind of interesting. Throughout the entire series, you'll see actually beyond even the first book is um, how where the colors live and how um, the government impacts those colors really just changes based off where people are living. And this kind of um, tries to mirror some things in modern society where you show um, the government kind of impacting where people live and that impacted an area. Um, areas right. became richer or poorer based off the government favoritism. It was interesting when you mentioned the the colors again. I, I just I, I found this overlying theme and just going back to our political culture. Even you looking at how we identify each other today. You know, are you a blue Democrat or are you a red Republican? Are you gold or libertarian? Are you green? Green, I guess. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but but um, it, was that something that you intentionally did as well um, in terms of how you outlined the, the color schemes? So I didn't specifically do it based off, you know, the political parties or things like that. But a major element and theme in the book I'm trying to talk about is um, tribalism or this 
people become obsessed with your color or your standards or things like that. And it becomes part of their identity. Um, I think, I don't think race, I, I don't think I've even mentioned race in the book almost ever, which is the point where people become, choose to take certain categories. And that's what divides us, even though when they're very similar people, they'll see people in the books, that, the book that are entirely different characters, colors, they seem like very similar people, but the only divide is the fact they identify as a blue versus a red. Um, so I'm really, part of the major theme of the book is, is kind of going after this kind of tribal, whether it's political, whether it's um, socioeconomic, um, these kind of almost arbitrary divides is kind of set up in our society where we kind of divide ourselves or the government even divides, divides us or the society divides us off these standards that aren't, that I feel like break apart society instead of showing what, how similar we actually are. Absolutely. So without, I, I want people to, to read the book, right? So first and foremost, folks, first, <laughs> <I appreciate that. laughs> so, so first and foremost, the book is only two ninety nine for Kindle over on Amazon. And if you, if you're one of the more, you know, paperback people like myself, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed reading it over on my, my, um, I think it's my Kindle iPad. I don't know what the heck I use. Um, but I know I also like to read a paperback, so you can get it for twelve ninety nine over on Amazon as well if you if you're interested there. And I'll again be sure to include the link. So make sure when you get it, uh, you message Brandon and you tell him that I I sent you there because that's important because I want him to know the power of the Brian Nichols Show audience. Um, but beyond oh, yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> so beyond that, Brendan, I want you if you can to outline the the plot of the story without giving away the, the, the gory details. So let's start discussing Ivan um, and then maybe discussing his interactions with Julia and just the dynamic that took place between the two. Right. So um, to further complicate this political system a little bit, there is also, um, so the, the uh, America has an alternate history in this uh, book. Um, it became a monarchy after the uh, Revolutionary War, which kind of leads to this huge alternate history. And so a remnant of the monarchy still exists within this country. Um, it's a, almost completely powerless, but it was meant to prevent, um, a treaty was formed to meant to prevent the, a civil war from continuing. So Ivan, at the start of this book, is again a red. He's working with a group called the Militia, which is a group mainly trying to fight against the prism, also fighting against um, the another theme of the book is against a lot of the surveillance state that exists within the socialist system and the militia's attempts to take out um, the surveillance state, which is violating a lot of people's privacies. Uh, but so uh, the uh, the arc is Ivan's running a mission um, with a lot of his team members, um, and along the way he runs into a girl who's uh, being assaulted by some of the lower colors on the in the downtown St. Paul. Um, he saves the girl. And it ends up, after Ivan gets attacked, injured, ends up being a princess from the remnants of these, um, the monarchy. Her name is Julia. And um, she is one of the few people in the monarchy who's vocally still opposed to the prism. Because most people within the monarchy have been um, kind of chastised. They, uh, they don't want to lose whatever little rights they have left because the monarchy is exempt from the prism system. So uh, the story is kind of largely revolving around these two characters, Ivan and Julia, and both their relationship as well as um, how they work together, trying to work within this very um, oppressive system, both within the monarchy and um, within the um, government of the United People's Front, which is the socialist government, to try to oppose and fight against um, the, everything working against them, because everyone's trying to protect their own powers. 
Um, something that majors in the book is everyone is working kind of behind the scenes. Ivan can only see so much. Um, so everyone is trying to work um, to increase their own power while Ivan and Julia are trying to reform the system. So Ivan's also trying to open Julia's eyes to the world that exists beyond the monarchy because it's a very different world from the Ivan lived in versus the uh, you know safe royal community that Julia is from. And so uh, that, that that's the main story arc in the fights that they, they get in within um, the monarchy and beyond. And Ivan really has to decide on where his loyalties lie and make some really tough decisions to both survive and, and you know, ensure that both his friends and his uh, people he loves are protected. The book is The Fractured Prism. So, Brendan, when you're looking at the, the socialist government that you've outlined here in the book, and you mentioned it's the United People's Front, what was your inspiration in, in building up that government? Is it something that you've seen here in America, or is it is it something that you were able to pull away from uh, another you know country there that has been more socialist or communist in, uh, in stature? Right. So... Um... Uh, in college, I studied economics, and I took a class on comparative economic systems, and one of the things we did is we learned about a lot of different communist countries and uh, their different systems. So um, one of the large inspirations for the uh, United People's Fronts was the, uh, excuse me, the USSR, as well as China. Um, those are the two main you know, uh, communist systems that I was basing it off of. Um, part of the entire idea of the uh, the prism also was kind of somewhat drawn from the Chinese social score system and the tests a lot of Chinese kids have to take at a young age that really determine their future. Um, and so I have a lot of the more USSR style economics combined with the Chinese style um, government oppression to kind of combined into what the United People's Front came from. And I try to show a little bit in the book about, you know, the failures of the communist system, for example, in the USSR with the, um, uh, uh, collective farms and things like that consistently failing, as well as different systems in terms of trying to urbanize the communities and force people into um, uh, factories and things like that as well. So when you're writing the book like this, right, do you find yourself um, as a, we'll, we'll just say as a small L libertarian, do you find yourself uh, like getting excited knowing that you're writing a story that is pro-libertarian and and anti-state and that it's actually having the ability to influence people who maybe who aren't libertarians and you're like, you know, just subtly giving them libertarianism and they don't even realize it. Well, yeah, it's part of the point of the book is not to be advertised as a libertarian book. I mean, I'm on this podcast, obviously, but I love for libertarians to be able to read it too. But I think that's the thing we were talking about earlier of kind of the subtlety is um, the first thing I wanted to do was tell a good story. The second thing I wanted to do was try to, you know, yeah, have some of those underlying themes. And I do get excited about those those themes, but I also just, yeah, I think the most exciting thing for me is like, I, I call, I'm uh, what you call a discovery writer is I don't actually know the ending to the entire series yet. I know most of where it's going, but I kind of discover it as I go along while I'm writing. And so that's a fun process for me that I really love. Um, and so I sometimes get surprised as a twist and turns as well. But um in terms of the kind of liberty front, yeah, I, I, I think there's a real lack of, like we were talk, talking about earlier, the um, books on the right or in the libertarian circles that um, can express those themes without beating you over the head with it. I mean, if you read Ayn Rand or anything like that, I mean, 
it's pretty obvious where they're going yeah. with it. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a little, it's, it's like a, what's that movie? I forget. It's like, are you, you're laying on some sarcasm because you're laying on pretty thick. Like that's, there, yeah. there, there is no subtlety there whatsoever. Right. So, and I think that's kind of the point of an art or book is to, you know, tell a good story first and, you know, make the theme within that story. But yes, I, so I, I do get very excited about the possibility of people reading it. But I also, just, yeah, I get excited about people reading the book in general. I think that's a really fun idea thing to be able to say some random stranger picked up my book and they liked it. That's yep. one of the coolest things in the world. 100% can relate. I mean, the, when I started doing the, the Brian Nichols show back in Janu- January of last year, um, I was like, okay, you know, I have, at that time I had like 2,500 Twitter followers, maybe, maybe 2,500 Twitter, Twitter followers. Um, I was like kind of relevant in libertarian or liberty circles. Um, you know, I was writing at the, the Libertarian Republic and I'd been on We Are Libertarians a few times. And, uh, you know, I was, I was an associate editor over at, again, the Libertarian Republic. And I was like, okay, you know, I'll give this a whirl. And, and then to see my first episode and I had like a couple hundred listens or downloads and I was like, a couple hundred people wanted to hear what I had to say. And that was like, really, right. it was, it was kind of like really um, exciting to know that not only did people want to hear what I had to say, but I actually had a voice beyond um, what I thought was, you know, the small confines of, you know, a Twitter or, or social media account or, you know, just the, the written word. And then to see like the downloads go into the, you know, the, the thousands. And I'm like, Whoa, like that kind of caught me off guard. And for you, I'm sure it must be like a, a very similar feeling. You know, like all of a sudden seeing the, the books start flying up the shelves or the, the, the virtual checkout counter at Amazon for you. It's like, <laughs> it's like, wow, people are actually, you know, interested in what I'm saying. And, and not only that, just telling the good story and they're actually enjoying the good story. Um, but now for you, conversely, you have the chance to say, yeah, hey, I wonder how many of those people I'm actually changing their minds. And I think that's, something that it's very unique for someone in your perspective and in your position because you're an artist at this point and and it's really you're giving someone the piece of art and you've had your own biases to it that you've put in in place that you would take away from it but now it's for the individual to look at the piece of art and they can take away something completely different so with that I was wondering has anybody spoken to you about the book after they read it and gave you a completely just maybe not incorrect but a completely like 180 in terms of what you were hoping to be the message and what they actually pulled away from the book? I wouldn't say a complete 180, but I've definitely gotten responses to the book. And first of all, I love getting responses to the book. If you hate the book, if you love the book, send me a message because I, I love being able to hear back and talk to people about it. Um, it's always an improving method. But um, yeah, I've had some people where they pick up on some things that you wrote and you're like oh wow it's like i almost learned things you're like oh wow i wrote that i didn't realize that could be a theme or something like that yeah i've never had someone go uh read the book though and say wow i think this is a great socialist state so i think that's a a good accomplishment there um but um uh, uh, yeah a lot of people you know will, will come back and pick everyone picks up different things and i think that's the point of art too is if you're if everyone picks up only one thing, then uh, you're being too explicit about it. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I've received messages from friends and a few other just random people who said that they uh, just get some ra- interesting stories from the book or like everyone likes a different point or a different character, which is interesting because, you know, I have my favorite characters or points in the story too. And so it's interesting to see that different people do pick up on uh, different things. It's, it's so I mean, when cool. You have, when you, yeah, and when you have oh, eighty thousand words in a book, yeah, so everyone's gonna pick up on something different. <laughs> well, and the thing I was thinking of when you were when you were saying that, it's like 
I wonder how much of that is you. Like, how much of that is just, like, you living a libertarian lifestyle? Are you just living a a not hurting people, not taking people's stuff lifestyle, if you will? Um, that it's just, it's become so part of your natural narrative that when you're, when you're talking to people, the way you live your life, that when you write the book... It's it's conveyed in just the the way you use words or the style you use words. I'm, I'm wondering if if that maybe played a, a significant role beyond just like the 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 uh, intentional you know hints of libertarianism, but the the more nuanced things that maybe you didn't even realize was there. Right, and that, that's a uh, a thing when you're you're an author or anything is uh, some part of you is coming through in the book. I mean, uh, I, every character has some elements of people, you know, whether you know it or not. Um, so, and things like that. Yeah, I, I'm sure it has in terms of the language I use or things like that. Um, and I, it's hard to know on the soul side because I probably don't notice it as well, but I'm sure a lot of people reading have picked up on, um, potentially the language, but yeah, um, it's, I would say, yeah, there's, there's certain things where just how you Say it, and not as can be also express a philosophy or point of view instead of just what you say. So you mentioned that your goal is to write a good story that you are still writing, um, and obviously that's a, a a nice hint towards book two that's coming out, uh, which is right. also available for pre order. Hint hint that you can find over at the show notes. Uh, Crimson reigns. So where's Ivan and uh, and and the princess? Where are they going to next in terms of the uh, the story? Uh, or is that is that too much to say right now, giving away the end of the bu- the book? You think? Uh, I, I, I definitely can't give away the ending of book one, but I, I can say that uh, um, it, it, Crimson Reigns is a very, very fun book, at least for me. It's, 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 it's a, uh, a lot happens. It gets a lot of tension, both internal and external for the characters. And where Ivan and Julia are is, um, well, let's just say they start out in completely different places and uh, they end up in completely different places. Uh, but <laughs> that's a nice yeah, way to put that. That was it, good. <laughs> yeah, I'll just say that. And then uh, it, Crimson Reigns is a great book with a lot of tension. And I think that has its own, um, some own, uh, some other unique political criticisms in it as well that I hope come off subtly. <laughs> are, are you still writing that book right now? So Crimson Reigns is uh, finished. It's being uh, beta readed, read readed, uh, beta read by uh, um, uh, people that I trust, and if they're doing some of their ideas and giving me feedback on it. So there is a f- editing going on on that book, um, but it's pretty close. To, I mean, to what the finished product will be. It, that's coming out um, at the latest on July fifteenth. Actively, I'm working on, while I'm not editing book two, I'm working on book three, which I haven't released the name of yet, And uh, but that one's going to be even just as exciting as book two, if not more. Um, and so that's the thing, you're always writing, whether you're going back and editing uh, one of the earlier books that hasn't been published yet, or you're working for it on the next one. So um, the book is probably, the, ser- the series is probably going to be about four or five books in this entire series, um, but I'm really enjoying it while it lasts. Good as you should, because it's a it's a great read. It's an easy read too. Like for me, some like I used to be a big fan of the Harry Potter series. Oh, I know it's nerdy, um, but you know what? I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, oh, and I the love book, Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, and the books were like you know ginormous. I remember book five was like eight hundred and thirty thousand pages. And um, oh man, book five was awful. <laughs> it was it was like a ba- I mean literally it was like it was like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna tackle this book and like you had to sit down just and just plow through it. Um, but like when I was reading your book, I I, I was like page. 
200? Like, when did that happen? And then I was done with the book literally in a day. Uh, so it kind of caught me off guard how, how easy of a read it was. But um, anyways, yeah, but that's besides the point. The question I was going to bring up next was, um, do, do I meant to ask this earlier, by the way. Do you find as you're writing the book that uh, whatever is happening in the day, whether it's like our, our common news, uh, our common news events that are taking place or something about Trump in the White House or something's happening over in Venezuela or, or something that's happening in your personal life. Is, is that something that's really influencing um, how you write that day? It, it, it can. Um, because, I mean, you're in a mood when you're writing, so it's kind of um, <laughs> it's hard because, you know, I have a full time job while I'm writing. So I'll, I write on my lunch hour and then I write um, when I whenever I can find time when I get home. So um, some of the stuff is, yeah, whatever's going on sometimes. And if it's, you know, sometimes you, it doesn't fit the theme of what you're supposed to go for. So you have to go back and edit it because of that. But yeah, I mean, whatever's happening in your personal life or what's happening in the world around you affects how you think and how the inspiration comes from. So I have drawn some um, themes and some of the ideas. Uh, there, there's inspirations in, especially uh, uh both elements of book one and now really book two that come from um, the uh, current events and things like that. Uh, it, you know, you're not explicitly referencing them because first of all, it's an alternative universe. And second of all, I really don't want to make this book something that's like, oh, I'm a Republican. I don't want to read this book. Or I'm a Democrat. <laughs> I don't want to read this book. I want it to be something. That's what you said about it be trying to be an easy read. Where it, The book, I want it to be able to be read by both young adults and um, adults or people of various ages. Because um, I think that's it, too many books aren't approachable for a lot of different people. So The book is, again, The Fractured Prism. And it's a part of the, uh, what was it going to be called? The, the Prism Series? The Prism Files? Is that what it is? Yeah, it's called the Prism Files. That's right. I remember. I thought I read that somewhere, and then, and then the next one coming out in July, Crimson Rains, and that can be found either in the show notes, which I will include the link, obviously, to the Amazon uh, store. You can purchase that for Brendan, uh, but also I will include uh, include Brendan's website, which is Brendan Noble.com. Uh, also, again, included in the show notes. Everything, by the way, folks, anytime I'm talking about anything in the show, uh, whatever the show may be, it's always included in the show notes. So if you're looking for links or you're looking for somebody's profile, uh, please be sure to go to the show notes and, and find that there. And also, it's where you can make your one-time PayPal donation to The Brian Nichols Show. Um, just, you know, just throwing that in there. Uh, but <laughs> but also, you know, with that, so, so Brendan, obviously, I want people to be able to, to not only find the book, but also find you. So where can folks go ahead on social media and, uh, and find you? Okay, so on, on Facebook, I have a author page that you can just search Brendan Noble. Um, it'll be the bearded blonde dude. I should be the first thing that comes up. There's not many people with the name. Or you can find <laughs> me on Twitter at uh, Brendan underscore Noble. Alrighty. Well, listen, folks, it's it's a great read. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Now, you can ask anybody I, I that, that knows me. I, I'm not a big fan of reading. I read this book in, I'm not kidding, probably like nine hours, eight, nine hours, somewhere in there. So for me to sit down and read a 300 plus page book in, in that short of a time frame, I'm telling you, it's a good read. And if you're, if you're someone who's in the Liberty movement, you're going to love it because you're, you're going to pick up on the, the, the subtle themes. But hey, here's my challenge to you. After you read the book, I want you to, to share it with at least three of your friends who aren't libertarians. I want them to read the book and see if they, they either A, have their minds changed or B, pick up at the very least, pick up on the libertarian themes. I'm just curious. But also, hey, 
it helps us support one of our, our you know, strong libertarian authors that are, are in our audience. So, and I, I truly consider Brennan to be a friend. So, I mean, please do what you can to help support Brennan and all of his work he's doing over there for the, uh, the Prism Files. So, with that, folks, as always, follow me on social media at B Nichols Liberty, uh, both on Facebook and on Twitter. Also, I forgot to mention, guys, I have an email. If you're looking to get in touch with me at any point in time, it's Brian at Brian Nichols Show. All together right there. Just Brian Nichols Show. Brian at Brian Nichols Show. Send me an email. Give me your, your thoughts on the episodes. Give me any you know tips, tricks, anything that you guys want to suggest for guests, whatever it may be. Um, I want to hear what you guys have to say. Um, and also, please, if you could, go over to um, iTunes. Please give us a rate and review. Five stars would be fantastic. Um, and as always, I will I will go ahead and read every single review um, that's posted on iTunes here on The Brian Nichols Show. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, with that... Thank you so much for joining us today on The Brian Nichols Show. Signing off for author of The Fractured Prism, Brendan Noble. We'll see you next time. All right, thanks. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.